With respect to electric companies, there are a number of potential uses that are being explored. This includes using hydrogen as a long duration energy storage technology for renewable power. So electricity that's generated from wind or solar, or maybe hydropower. We also have members who are looking at blending hydrogen with natural gas for power generation. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. The electric power industry is committed to leading the transformation to a clean energy future. The industry understands we can't just rely on any one clean energy technology. We will need every fuel in the toolbox to achieve our clean energy goals. Hydrogen in particular will be a crucial clean energy resource of the carbon-free energy future. Today's episode will focus on the potential for hydrogen in our industry, and we will talk to a couple of EEI member company leaders about the innovative green hydrogen pilot projects they have underway. We are happy to welcome Sandy Safra, EEI Associate General Counsel for Energy and Technology Regulation, Matt Valley, Vice President of Development at Florida Power and Light, and John Chubaspor, Director of Regulatory Strategy at National Grid. Sandy, before we talk to our guests about their projects, let's talk a little bit about how electric companies view the potential role of hydrogen in their energy mixes and its potential benefits as a renewable energy source. Great, thank you, Brian, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. There are a couple of key characteristics of hydrogen that I just want to point out for our listeners as we start the conversation today. First, hydrogen is a molecule and it's storable as a molecule, which provides an advantage as we start to think about energy storage and battery storage technologies in our energy economy. Hydrogen is also energy dense and can be produced from a wide variety of sources. Importantly, as we think about carbon-free technology, Hydrogen can also generally be used without generating greenhouse gas emissions. So it is an incredibly versatile energy resource uh, that can be deployed across a number of sectors of the economy. With respect to electric companies, there are a number of potential uses that are being explored. This includes using hydrogen as a long duration energy storage technology for renewable power. So electricity that's generated from wind or solar, or maybe hydropower. We also have members who are looking at blending hydrogen with natural gas for power generation. There are some projects out there that are looking to use blends between five and 30% and looking eventually to move towards hundred percent hydrogen fuel generation in the future. Hydrogen can also be used to reduce the carbon footprint of associated equipment. So things like forklifts or vehicle fleets, if you're looking for hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle. And then finally, another area that folks are looking at is producing hydrogen for sale to others, including potentially providing hydrogen to customers for use in home and commercial heating. So there's a lot of exciting developments on the horizon and definitely looking forward to digging into the conversation with our guests today. So before we get into some of the pilot projects that our guests are gonna be talking about, for listeners who may not follow this closely or may not know, can you give a quick summary about what it means for hydrogen to be green? 
Absolutely. Um, and I should note before we talk about green hydrogen, that the colors of hydrogen are not literal. Hydrogen itself is colorless and odorless. It is a completely fungible molecule, just like uh, pipeline quality, natural gas, and like electrons. And that is true regardless of the production pathway that's used to produce the hydrogen. But the colors are a helpful shorthand for describing the method of production. There are multiple feedstocks, as I mentioned, that can be used to produce hydrogen. Most commonly right now, those feedstocks are coal and natural gas, but we can also use renewable natural gas and water. And there are a number of other potential feedstocks that are being explored that are incredibly interesting. Um, there are some issues with the color nomenclature, and we do generally try to stay away from it for that reason and instead just talk about clean hydrogen or the carbon intensity of the hydrogen. And I would note that the recent Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act does use the clean hydrogen terminology, as does the Build Back Better um, legislation. So to get to what green hydrogen is with that very long introduction, <laughs> uh, green hydrogen is produced by splitting hydrogen from oxygen in water and using electrolysis. If the electrolysis process is powered with electricity from carbon-free sources like nuclear, wind, solar, hydropower, then the hydrogen is generally dubbed green. And green hydrogen provides carbon-free production without the need to apply carbon capture uh, and uh, storage or sequestration technology like we see as the case uh, for hydrogen that's produced from methane or coal. Great, well, thank you so much for your insights and helping us build a bit of a foundation of understanding here. So Sandy, I'll turn it over to you now to talk a little bit more about these innovative pilot projects with uh, the EM member company leaders here today. Great, thanks, Brian. And uh, I think Brian already did a, a short intro, but welcome, uh, Matt and Don. Uh, Don, I'd like to start with you. Recently, your company announced its partnership with the town of Hempstead to blend green hydrogen into National Grid's distribution system. Can you tell us some more about this project and explain what stage of the project you're in? Sure, more than happy to. And thank you for having me, by the way. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And before I just talk about that project, let me provide some context, you know, the bigger picture. You know, why are we doing this and where does hydrogen fit in? And I'll highlight another project before the project in the town of Hempstead because there is a sequence that we are taking. So first, you know, in context, in terms of big picture, you know, we are committed to net zero, um, but about more than a year ago, we expanded that net zero ambition to include our customers' emissions, also known as scope three. So we are picking up the emissions of our customers that are using natural gas and electricity. And that makes that ambition, you know, much more ambitious, right? And, and in terms of that, when we started talking about the net zero ambition, picking up our customers' emission, we came up with a 10-pillar plan. Part of those 10 pillars is probably very familiar to the general public and, and people that are listening to this podcast, the things that you can Im imagine and are very familiar with, like you know, solar, wind, storage, you know, very aggressive expansion of energy efficiency measures and, and um What's really not widely understood by the public and it was part of the 10 pillars is to decarbonize the gas network. We see that also one of the important pillars to get to net zero. And that's part that's not really widely understood by the public. And that's where this, your intro, when you talked about hydrogen and renewable natural gas from biogenic sources and fits in. And let me just provide very quickly, you know, why we think 
we need those, you know, low carbon fuels. And we have done a lot of analysis on our own and with other partners that basically says decarbonizing both networks, meaning electricity and gas, is the most cost-effective, reliable, and resilient way to get to net zero. And also pragmatic. And by pragmatic, you know, what I mean is it has the highest probability of success and it's least disruptive to our customers. So that's sort of the big picture context. And then in the town of Hempstead, before I talk about that was when we started with that sort of big picture, when it came to hydrogen, the first thing we wanted to do was to do a hydrogen blending study to actually figure out, can we blend hydrogen in our infrastructure? So we partnered with Stony Brooks, which is a Long Island University's Institute of Gas Innovation Technology. We started looking at a hydrogen blending study at our local Long Island infrastructure. And New York State actually provides some funding from ICERTA. And basically, we've been conducting that study for the last couple of years. And the key, really key takeaway was we can begin to blend and introduce hydrogen in our infrastructure. So we picked part of Long Island that's mostly plastic, which is part of town of Hempstead and Point Lookout. And now we are taking that next step, right? So the first step was, can you blend hydrogen into your infrastructure safely? And the answer was yes. And now this project, we are looking to start blending hydrogen into our network. And we have isolated part of our system to start introducing hydrogen to about 800 customers. And the reason this location is really an ideal location in this town of Hempstead is that they are already producing green hydrogen, exactly in the way you defined it, to fuel fleet of municipal vehicles. So we will then build on the capacity, on the electrolyzer capacity that you mentioned, where we will build those on site to actually fuel 10 more vehicles. And so we are decarbonizing the transportation sector and then begin this blending for our customers to also decarbonize heat. We will start blending at 3% and over time grow that to 20%, 20% of the volume of that gas of those customers. And in terms of your last question, where are we today? As you mentioned, we announced that project in December. We are in the process of issuing RFIs and RFPs. So somewhere between the spring and the summer timeframe, we will have selected someone who will build and design that demonstration project. And it should be operational in three years. So in 2025, that project will be up and running. That's great. Thank you, Don. I think that uh, really helps illustrate the timeline uh, for project developers and for electric companies who are thinking about how hydrogen can fit into their um, existing uh, their existing applications. And uh, sounds like a really great a, a really great basis for uh, folks to use going forward. Um, Matt, I want to shift over to you, and I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about Florida Power and Light's green hydrogen pilot project that uses excess solar, how that project works, kind of what's next for the project, and how it fits into um, your parent company, NextEra's broader strategies. Yes, Andy, thanks for having me. Um, I think you're, you know, and similar to what Don just said, we're taking an early shot looking at um, how hydrogen will play a role in the electric sector here long term. So if you if you think about Florida's system uh, and what it would take to go to zero carbon, of course, we're doing a lot of solar here and we are starting to do a lot of batteries. We just brought online uh, one of the largest batteries in the country uh, to help balance some of that solar. But when we think about 
how do you get to the final 10 or 20% of the system? We think green hydrogen, as you pointed out, the color is important, uh, is, is the key. What we don't have down here, we've got some nuclear units, but we don't have hydro, we don't have the ability to do wind. So for a peninsula state, we really have to use uh, green hydrogen to get us the final stretch of the way. And I think about it as really long duration storage as opposed to long duration batteries or some other technology. So the hydrogen pilot we're doing, as you described earlier, is using some solar off an existing uh, site and running that through an electrolyzer, converting that energy into green hydrogen, storing it, and then burning that hydrogen in one of our large combustion turbines uh, that's part of our existing natural gas fleet. And you know, similar to what Don just said, initially the percentages are quite low. So you know, you think about a 400 megawatt unit, we're going to be blending in green hydrogen with the natural gas at about a five to 95% you know, hydrogen to natural gas blend for a period of 10 hours a day. And what we really wanna see is how does that unit perform over time versus uh, a unit burning 100% natural gas. And so if you think about, you know, what I just said on going to zero carbon, that for, you know, who knows when we all get there, but that is far in the future, uh, at least not in the next several years. But because we're talking about doing this across our entire fleet, we need to get going now. We need to test how this works, uh, converting, you know, electricity from an intermittent source into green hydrogen storing that and then blending that into these large units and watching the performance over time. Eventually in the zero carbon future, obviously these units would be running 100% on the green hydrogen, right? Which would mean a lot more electrolyzers, a lot more storage across the system and our ability to forecast and manage when we're gonna need that long duration storage. So that's, you know, that's what we're doing at the electric utility to get to that zero carbon future someday but I think I'd pick up on what you, know, you and, and Donna Bryant have all kind of introduced that this technology, green hydrogen, crosses many boundaries. So I just described the electric sector applications, but green hydrogen, which we would have on hand in that zero carbon future, could also support the transportation sector, right, for large uh, transportation vehicles that are going to use hydrogen instead of batteries, and then also for the industrial sector. And there's a number of industrial players, even here in Florida, that have begun discussions with us talking about how we could produce hydrogen potentially in the future, um, you know, to support some of their operations as they think about decarbonizing. And I think, you know, to your last question on Nextera, that's where we see those applications um, really coming into play. Initially, it may be green hydrogen for forklifts or some of the other ones that are a little bit closer um, in terms of economics. But with some federal incentives and over time as costs come down, we think green hydrogen is going to cross many sectors and be a viable product. And of course, it takes renewables, um, zero carbon resources to create that hydrogen. And that's also an opportunity for next era. That's great. Thank you, Matt. There are definitely a lot of common themes, I think, between what you were describing and what Don was describing. Um, as we kind of look towards a, the, a future hydrogen economy in the United States, we've got a lot of ores that we need to put in the water here. And so I'd be curious if you each can talk a little bit about some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome as you start these pilot projects and you know what some of the lessons learned might be. 
you know, whenever I'm asked, is the future of the energy industry to net zero, is it driven by technology or policy? I always say it's driven by technology, right? But the policy enables it, what's the catalyst? And here again, this is a really classic case where the technology is evolving much more rapidly than policy. Um, about two years ago, when we started talking about hydrogen, Sandy, there was not a single demonstration project announced in the US. And I would have never thought that two years later, there are now more than two dozen demonstration projects announced across the US, right? That's a really significant growth. We've gone basically from zero to more than uh, 20 in two years. Now, what's really then missing from my perspective is, you know, and, and Matt was pointing this out, what's really compelling about hydrogen is that it sits in the intersection of not just electricity and gas, but it can also decarbonize all of these other sectors of the economy. But where it's going, you know, going today in terms of policy, and you can actually see what's being flowing today in the gas network in terms of low carbon fuels from biogenic sources, it's all, if not, I think most of it primarily going to the transportation sector because that's where the incentives are. That's where the policy framework exists. In other words, you know, I think most of your listeners will be familiar with this. If you generate power with these low carbon fuels, you can generate you know, RECs through RPS. And if it goes towards transportation sector, you qualify under you know, the EPA's Renewable Fuel Standard Program or California's low carbon fuel standards. But if you use hydrogen to heat, or thermal processes or you know heat your building you don't actually qualify for any incentive or policy framework because that policy framework that policy framework does not yet exist so i think that's one of the missing components from a policy perspective to really to see hydrogen to show up at scale and and that needs to catch up to the technology that's evolving so much more rapidly sandy i'll um i'll pick up from there um you know, I, I agree on policy. I, I think back to batteries a few years ago, and in many markets in the country, batteries on the electric grid were new. And, you know, the RTOs, you know, even, uh, you know, you, you look at utilities like us, we do planning, it just didn't fit in any model. It wasn't a generation, generation resource. It wasn't a transmission element. How did you fit it? How do you think about that? And policy had to evolve, right? How many hours of duration do you need to get full credit? I think we have something similar here with hydrogen where, you know, how you treat that on your system, it effectively is energy storage if you're talking about the electric sector. Um, but the idea that you would have gas, um, you'd be creating as a utility doesn't necessarily fit into the framework uh, for a utility. And if you were to sell that, of course, to any other sector, that certainly seems to go outside, um, you know, the boundaries of, of kind of how we've envisioned utilities over time. So I think that's one point, and there's clearly work to be done um, to think about how this resource fits into the system and who is participating and how you're transacting. The other thing I think about is economics. And, you know, today, Hydrogen, green hydrogen, depends on what study you look at. You know, it could be anywhere from $5 to $8 a, a kilogram for green hydrogen. The hydrogen that, you know, all industrial processes are using today, right? It's, it's obviously out there and the, safe, the safety and handling of that is, is, you know, well understood. That could be below a dollar, right? From steam methane reforming, right? Other forms that use fossil fuel. Um, so you have an economic issue today. If you have federal incentives at $3 a kilogram, that will push it closer 
but it still may not be competitive, you know, for a little while until those costs come down. And so the, the thing, you know, the other thing that we think about in our system and why it fits further out in long-term storage is you lose energy, right? So when you take electricity and you convert it into um, hydrogen through an electrolyzer, you, you're losing 30, 40%, and then you're losing more energy when you take that gas and you put it into a combustion turbine and you turn it back into electricity, right? So that economic model only works, only works at scale when you get out there in the future and you have lots of a excess solar or wind or renewables on the grid that need to go somewhere versus curtailing them. And then B, you've got some policy that is pushing you towards a zero carbon system. Um, now, all that being said, we still, and we, we presented these arguments to our public service commission, it is such a massive change to run all these units on different fuels that we need to start today. And we need to begin ramping up and learning now because whether it's 20, 30, 40, or 50, we're at zero carbon, we think at some point, we're going to be there or nearly there, and hydrogen is going to play a key role in, in making that work. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, and, and thank you both. I think I'm going to pivot us a little bit um, and ask about what kinds of partnerships you see as being critical in moving forward with the types of projects that you're working on right now and also the projects that... Uh, National Grid and, and FPL are, are thinking about for hydrogen in the future and um, give Matt a little break and Donna you can start us off on this one as well. Yeah, um, the partnership will be such a critical role and I'm so delighted that now we have this infrastructure conversation, you know, a year from now we'll be talking about four hydrogen hubs because prior to that I would have said, you know, we need universities, right, to talk about the science part of this. We need technology companies. We need the supply, right? Where does the hydrogen come from? And then where's the demand? And the demand is all of these sectors that Matt and I have been talking about. So when you start talking about partnerships, and I think this is what's really great about these, you know, regional hubs, you get to bring all of those stakeholders together because of the diversity of the fuel. So in addition you know, to the technology companies. And, and we need to do this sort of like really thoughtfully with the cities as well. I'm, I'm talking about cities, but it could be a region. You know, how do you do this transition in an equitable way? So you get you get to engage all of the communities, both, you know, environmental justice. They need to be part of this conversation. So I see all of these stakeholders, you know, having a seat at the table and we're going to need all of them. And, you know, just picking up on the last point that, you know, Matt was making, which was like terrific, right? You, you, you think about, you know, how hydrogen can play a role in all of these sectors and how that starts to evolve the the, both the gas and the electric network. You start to realize how integrated and complementary that hydrogen becomes, right? So it's a lot more coordination between gas and electric utilities and our customers on the industrial side and the other sectors. So again, Sandy, I've gone, you know, I think, gone around this a um, couple of times, but all of these players need to be involved as we talk about integrating hydrogen as part of our, you know, energy network. And really, you know, where hydrogen becomes, at least in my opinion, it becomes the molecule of 21st century. And I know that's gone around a lot, but it is truly the molecule that will probably need to decarbonize our economy. Um, I, I will... Uh... 
pick up on the theme of the hydrogen hubs because I think Sandy that that kind of pulls a lot of pieces together and so broader than just the FPL pilot now I'm, I'm referring mostly to the next era entity and, and how we're looking across the industry um, but the hydrogen hubs and, and for the listeners not familiar with um, this is a piece of the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's already funded. So not the Build Back Better bill that may or may not happen. This is the uh, this is the bill that's funded. And what got funded under hydrogen was $8 billion to create hydrogen hubs. And so what is a hydrogen hub? Well, as the DOE has, has thought about it, it is a hub across several states. So think regional, and it will tie together many different uh, sources of production and uses and transportation between those points. And, and I think about it in layers. There's, you know, there could be a transportation layer where you have hydrogen fill stations. You could have a utility component like what we're doing, you know, with our, uh, with our gas unit uh, and ramping that up on hydrogen. You could have different types of production. So electrolysis is one, but, you know, another one that the DOE just funded was methane pyrolysis, which is taking methane and splitting that into carbon black into hyd green hydrogen as long as you're using uh, green electricity right to to produce that um, and then there may be other uses right fuels um, that you could create right green ammonia and so the government is really looking very broadly and has a lot of money to 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 uh, to support this and they want to see not only different companies thinking about um, creating in those regions, um, you know, ecosystems, but how they will scale. I think it's not, you know, with those kind of dollars, this isn't R&D. This is really, how do you seed some industries and get them going? Um, and what's fascinating about it to, to us is it's taking us into conversations that you wouldn't necessarily have had before, right? I mean, you need, think about in the transportation layer, how do you build a hydrogen fill station? Who do we talk to? What about the offtake agreement? How do shipping trucking companies operate where do they need these things are there any industrial partners um, what about pipelines to move it right or other fuels that we might create that could be shipped across the united states or somewhere else it's it's a whole new world a whole new set of you know it's a whole new language that you know we're learning because hydrogen links all these pieces together and were it not for these hydrogen hubs who knows is that 10 years in the future we've you know we've kind of accelerated into the present but i think sandy kind of to your point that is going to drive more collaboration between different companies and academia and the national labs which should be a part of most of those hubs too so we're kind of at the beginning of that process, but we anticipate in 22, some solicitation will be released by the Department of Energy, and you'll see a lot of really interesting, robust proposals that uh, that come out as a result of it. That's great. Thank you both. Um, Matt, you mentioned the need to learn on a number of different areas related to hydrogen, and I think it would be helpful for our listeners if you guys can share um, for companies that are looking at the potential role of hydrogen, what sources um, do you think would be good for them to take a look at to learn some more information? Matt, you can start us off if you'd like. Yeah, I, I think um, we're all learning together. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's certainly some national labs and, you know, the, the government has done a good bit of work through um, 
you know, through certain offices already and testing out different use cases and technology. Um, so that's, I mean, that's certainly one source, right? Again, under the Department of Energy, that's been going for a few years and, and we've had some interaction with those office. Um, I, I think there is much to be learned with partners, right? I mean, we think about scaling. So, um, you know, at Nextera and really even at FPL, right, where we're, we can do small pilots, but we really think about how does this translate quickly into larger projects? For example, we're spending more time with vendors, right, and electrolyzers. And we're thinking a lot about um, what it would take to ship, right? Whether it's a pipeline, which you can't typically use gas pipelines. So what type of pipeline would we need? Could we move it via truck? Um, and what are the other, you know, what are the other partners thinking? But um, I, I, it's kind of a fascinating time. I, I relate this story um, to folks when I talk about green hydrogen, but we announced uh, about a year and a half ago, this pilot at FPL, and we've been, you know, I've been a part of, you know, this company for over 10 years, and we've announced a lot of things. I don't think anything we've ever announced has gotten so much attention. It was very buzzworthy for a while, and maybe that was because 18 months ago, we were in the beginnings of COVID, and people needed some interesting distractions, but, um, I, I, you know, we were a few steps maybe ahead of, of others that were thinking about it, but not too far. And I feel like for the last 18 months, we've been running at full speed, just trying to stay a few steps ahead. But I also have the sense that we're kind of all learning together. So um, where, where we learn the most is, you know, working with some of those big vendors and thinking about real costs. Costs have gone up across the board, right? So you need to kind of reset expectations and, uh, and efficiencies in production. And some of the mundane issues about, um, you know, the operation maintenance, the long-term viability, we think about the stress or not on, on the plants that, uh, you know, that we're, you know, we're putting green hydrogen into. But I think it's a lot of, for us, um, you know, building up that ecosystem of partners and then really a lot of trial and error um, early on to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And I think final point on the Nextera side, a lot of discussions with potential partners and beginning to think through commercial arrangements and just one thing to consider, whenever you have a new technology that has a long life and you try to sign an agreement with an off-taker, you know, often they don't want to sign for 20 years, right? The same way they would for solar and wind. So you may be taking shorter term contracts initially and having some merchant exposure kind of on the back end because you may find it harder to get the long-term commitments that you might need to make that investment. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Don, any any um, information sources that you would add to that? Yeah, I like the way Matt said, you know, we're all learning together. And, you know, one thing about, I just want to duplicate pick up where Matt said, you know, how the world has changed in 18 months. I usually say that hydrogen has left the ivory tower, right? There are hydrogen economy paper going back to the 1950s and 60s. But again, you see, uh, as I mentioned earlier, how there are, we have gone basically from a zero demonstration project to over two dozen in two years. You know, I'll give, um, there is a lot of sources, but I'll give a couple of shameless plugs. You know, one of them is the Low Carbon Resource Initiative that we are actually a partner with EPRI, Electric Power Research Institute and Gas Technology Institute. It is a really good depository of a lot of white papers that's pulling a lot of, you know, globally research around hydrogen in various sectors. Universities are really getting into this space. And here, again, I'll be biased. I work out of our Brooklyn office, but so here in New York, you know, Columbia's Center on Global Energy Policy has done a really good comprehensive white paper 
on hydrogen, how it could be used in all of these sectors, and you know what are the issues and concerns you ought to be thinking about. So you know wherever you are, probably your university that's thinking about climate change and environmental science is doing some of these things, and and you know the national labs, as you know Matt mentioned, and then if you start looking into what DOE is doing. And on their website, you will see all of these other different companies, you know, whether it's Toyota or utilities like National Grid and FPL, and, and it will have links to their website. So there is now this huge tidal wave of information that is being developed very rapidly and disseminated very quickly on hydrogen. That's great. Well, I think we'll we'll leave the conversation there uh, for today, but thank you both for joining us for this podcast. I've certainly learned a lot and it's been really fun to chat with you both. And I should also take the opportunity to do a shameless plug as well for the Carbon Free Technology Initiative or CFTI, which uh, is a partnership that EEI is uh, involved in with about eight other organizations, including the Clean Air Task Force, the Nuclear Energy Institute and Third Way, just to name a couple. For those who are not familiar, the Carbon Free Technology Initiative is focused on implementation of federal policies that can help ensure the commercial availability of affordable, carbon-free, 24-7 power technology options by the early 2030s and to help electric power companies in the electric industry meet uh, net zero carbon reduction commitments. Um, we've been working with the uh, other members of this group to identify and socialize lessons learned and to help advance demonstration projects. So really exciting stuff coming out of LCRI and CFTI and a number of these other partnerships that we've touched on today. I also want to mention um, if it's of interest, if what you heard about today was of interest to you. Um, EEI collaborates with the law firm KNL Gates on a podcast that I co-host with one of the KNL Gates partners called Hydrogen Rising. And you can find that podcast. It's a bi-weekly podcast. You can find it on um, your favorite podcast app. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us today. And thank you, Don. And thank you, Matt, for joining us as well. It was a pleasure to have you both on and to hear your views on the developing hydrogen economy in the United States. Thanks for having us, Amy. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.